Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Okay, Luke's, Luke chapter 6. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Please open your Bibles. At verse 46. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 6, 46. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at your word. As I preach your word, that you would convict us, Lord, that we would uh, come away from this sermon being those who want to do your will, who want to obey your word, Father, and who find delight in being and pursuing perfection as you are perfect. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So verses 20 through the end of this chapter is a sermon from Jesus. Right? The verses we're focused on in, in the passage that I just read is a summary of what's come before. Uh, the focus of the entire sermon is this. It's fruitfulness. 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 Right? You guys done having a conversation over there? Can I preach now? Girls, thanks. Fruitfulness. Let me say it again. Fruitfulness. God is teaching us how his children will live in his kingdom, about how they will live a life of fruitfulness to his glory. And so we, we just read the passage, and it's, it's quite simple. It's a quite simple statement followed by a couple analogies to bring home the point. But it's a very simple statement. It's a very practical sermon, right? Very practical preaching. As if there's any other kind of preaching, really. As if, as if we should just have intellectual preaching. Um, it's strange to me how many pastors preach intellectual sermons, sermons for the brain, right? When we're repeatedly, repeatedly shown from Jesus himself practical sermons, practical preaching, live this sort of way. Your faith means you will live in this manner, right? Let your belief work out in your actions. That's the kind of sermons that... Jesus preached. Jesus teaches us these sorts of things. He, he teaches us to
to leap for joy when things are not going well because you are professing your faith in Christ, you have a reward in heaven. It's like, leap for joy. Be happy when you're persecuted. He says, love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing in return, and you have a reward in heaven. Lend and expect nothing in return. That's very practical. That's so practical that we forget that's in the Bible. Right? It's so mundane. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Do forgive others. Give. Give. Um, time. Give money. Give clothing. Give whatever. Give and it will be given to you. Be careful about your teachers. You will become like them, which could be good and could be bad. Start with yourself when doing analysis. Remove the plank from your eye before you take the speck out of your, your brother's eye. Know yourself and others by your works, by your fruits. Know yourself by what you produce. Fruit corresponds to the freshness or the rottenness of the heart. These are very simple concepts, right? We're not getting into the, uh, the nooks and crannies of, of um, redemptive, historical, systematic this or that, right? Very practical, simple sermons from the mouth of our Lord. Of course, it's all deeply theological. That's not what I'm saying. It's anything Jesus said, anything God speaks is deeply theological. But it's also very practical. Jesus knows that those who have been transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit will show forth that difference in the way that they live their lives. Christianity is not merely an intellectual paradigm, a way of thinking. Rather, Christianity is life in Christ. It is faith right, that works. It is ethical. It bursts out into the world by changing the way we relate to our parents, for example. Changing the way we do business and relate to wealth. It changes radically what makes us grieve and also what makes us joyful. Changes the way we utilize technology, like medical technology or drugs. Changes the way we repent when we sin. It changes the way we work. Changes the way we use our time. It changes... Uh, the way we understand and persevere through our sufferings, spiritual and physical. It changes the things we love. It changes the things we hate. It changes the purpose of our parenting. It changes how we live our days on this earth. So Christianity is not merely an intellectual pursuit. It is a, it's a whole life lived reality. That's what it is. It is, as an evangelical would say, and I would affirm, a relationship with the Almighty King and Creator. It's relationship. It is walking as if you have a Father watching you. So Jesus, the one who created us and who sent his spirit to sanctify us, knows what life in him will be. It will be this. It will be the death of the old man and the quickening of the new man. It will be like what the Apostle Peter writes in his first letter. 
Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you who have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So the life of the Christian will be one of fruitfulness and good works and faithful obedience, and it will be, uh, you, you will live a life of not, of being not at all what you used to be. It'll continually be a process of, I'm not what I used to be. All of a person's affections are changed when he is made alive in Christ. Do we believe this? All of the affections are changed. Everything we love, everything we do has a new purpose. It has a new object. It has a new meaning, a new power. We know that when we know that Jesus is Lord, we love that he is our Lord. And we live joyfully and fruitfully in that reality day by day. Of course, there will be days, right? There will be days. Hopefully not day after day after day after day. But there will be days that our behavior is no better than that of the pagan. In fact, it could be a lot worse on those days. But at the end of those days, our consciences, if we're in Christ, will be bothered. Right? And that will always separate us from those who love and serve their sins wholeheartedly. In Christ, we are no longer slaves of sin, but what are we? Slaves of righteousness. Slaves of God, Romans chapter 6. We are no longer those who suffer for doing what is right, but... Those who suffer for, I mean, for doing what is wrong, but we are those who suffer for doing what is right. We are no longer those who have a dead heart hostile to God, but those who love his law, who meditate in it day and night. We are no longer those who are seeking to gratify the flesh, but rather we are those who buffet the body and make it our slave. We are no longer those who are merely hearers of the word, but we have become those who are doers of the word. This change in life, this newness of life, this going from the old man to the new man, this going from being dead to being alive, right? The spirit living in me power is the uniform testimony of scriptures. When a man is alive in Christ, there is a visible, tangible, intense, and lasting change. And that change is evidence, that change is evidence in how he lives. He desires holiness because he loves the Father in heaven and wants simply to be like his Father. And when he falls short because of his remaining corruption, his remaining indwelling sin, he grieves, right? He grieves, he cries out to God, whereas before he just asked for another drink further numb his conscience. Now he even grieves when his heart doesn't properly grieve his sin. 
right? Christians get deeper and deeper into grief over their sin. We grieve when we can't grieve properly. Nothing like what he used to be. That is life in Christ. That's what life in Christ looks like. You know this because you've experienced it, right? You've experienced this. You know this transforming power because you see his work in you, right? You know that your faith is more than just a powerless intellectual ascent, right? You know this because Paul's prayer for you in the book of Ephesians has been fulfilled. He prayed that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Life in Christ, the life of a born-again Christian, is one, I mean, I'm just going to keep pounding this drum. It's one where obedience happens. Obedience. Obedience to Jesus the Lord is the only sound evidence of saving faith. Obedience. The pursuit of holiness is the only sound evidence of saving faith. Children, covenant children. This sermon is especially for you, covenant children who seem dead to God, who seem dead to life, who seem numb to the things of the Lord. You've just grown up around Christ, and so you take Christ for granted. You've grown up around your parents praying the triune name over you, and it's, it's as exciting to you as a pack of gum. Or maybe less. Maybe less. Covenant children, wake up. God is in heaven watching you and expects you to pursue him. You may not rely on your parents' faith. You may not rely on your heritage in the Lord. You may not rely on the fact that you come from Dutch stock. You may not. You must pursue God, and he is looking for you to be obedient to him. However young you are, he is looking for you to follow him. Yes, your parents make you read the Bible. But do you want to read the Bible? Do you want to read the Bible? Your parents tell you to pray. They discipline you and they say, pray to God. Pray that he would change your heart. Because I can't change it. Pray to God. Let's pray together. Let, but you need to pray on your own. You need to pursue God in prayer. Do you then pray? Covenant children. Talking to you guys. Obedience to Jesus the Lord is the only sound evidence of saving faith. Do you have a sense of these things, covenant children? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and his renovating work in your heart? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, is it wrong of me to say that of covenant children? Because covenant children are supposed to just be in, right? They're just in. No. Let's see how far it goes. Still going. <laughs> um, 
Seriously, covenant children, more exciting than that is the preaching of God's word. Right? Do you have a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you seen the Holy Spirit work in your life? Have you prayed to him and see him radically change your thoughts? Radically change the way you approach a difficult situation? Have you seen him help you? Have you seen God at work in you? Have you put to death sins? Have you fought sins? Covenant children, you guys. Have you fought sins? Do you have a relationship with God that goes beyond your parents' relationship with God? Do you have your own? Yeah, I'm creating all kinds of problems for us covenantal Christians when I individuate our children like that, but I intend to individuate them because they will stand before the judgment seat of God by themselves. Do you know God and pursue Him? You must experience, and if you are a child of God, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit as He renovates and continues to renovate your heart. As your parents have experienced. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Oh, man. So intensely practical, isn't it? It's just such a slap to the face. Lord, Lord! You, you didn't even pick up the piece of paper I asked you to pick up. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? There are many who think Christianity is merely warm, fuzzy thoughts about Jesus. Or it's merely being at church on Sunday. Or it's merely having parents who believe. Or it's merely being baptized. Or it's merely coming to the Lord's table. Or it's merely this or that. Or, or that it's merely lip service. That one can just say, Lord, Lord. And that's enough. There are many who say, there are many who say, Lord, Lord, about Jesus, but treat him as much less than a Lord. They want what he's handing out as far as eternal life is concerned, but they don't want anything to do with his actual lordship, right? They don't see him as a king. They see him as an annoyance. Jesus, the creator of you in the womb, is an inconvenience. And you want him as a savior, but not as a king. The problem is, is you can't have him a savior without having him as a king. Those who think this way are giving evidence of a rotten heart because of the bad fruit they will inevitably bear. They must repent by God's grace. And by his spirit, be willing to give up love of money, love of family, love of jobs, love of sodomy, love of adultery, love of fornication, addiction, <laughs> selfishness, pride, godless ambition, boasting. 
I could name a few of my other sins. But if they continue on the path they are on, showing no fruit, they will die in their sins. Jesus is teaching us that it is blasphemous to profess Christ and not practice what he says. Professing Christ and then treating him as if he is not really real. Doing that, dear brothers and sisters, will prove your Christlessness. There are many who merely by their words call Jesus Lord, but yield no obedience to his commands. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you will not be content to sit still and do nothing to show your love to Christ. It's funny. I mean, many yield obedience to lesser lords, right? We, we are happy to yield obedience to many lords, to our bosses at work, to police officers that pull us over. But there are many who think yielding obedience to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, the giver of life, the one by whom and for whom all things were made, the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth, they believe obedience to Jesus, the Lord, is optional Optional. He doesn't really see, I haven't really seen much evidence of him. It's optional. Not much consequence, really, when it comes to disobeying Jesus immediately. Some even say that obedience to Christ, as they conceive of it, is sinful because obedience is the opposite of the grace of God, as they fashion it. Right? Obedience is somehow to deny the grace of God who, who just erases everybody's sins all the time equally. If Jesus is Lord, that means we are slaves of Christ. Right? That is what it means. If Jesus is Lord, we are slaves. Slaves do not have, have independent wills. Slaves do not make up the rules. Slaves do not assert their autonomy to their Lord. Slaves do not boast about their freedom to go against what their master has said. Slaves submit to their Lord. How many times does Paul and the other writers of the New Testament call themselves slaves of Christ? I mean, it's common to loss. Slave of Christ. It's how Paul introduces himself to churches as slave of Christ. Of course, slaves to a good master like Jesus means much more than just having to follow his rule. It also means that he will, he will provide, he will protect us by his power. But it certainly does mean that he rules us. And being a good master, those who are yoked to him in slavery, they are happy to do his will. Happy to pursue him. Happy to listen to what he says and immediately follow with action. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. 
It is clear that the Apostle Paul understood as the slave of God that he was obligated to do what his Lord called him to do. The entire goal of his life was to please Christ. As an obedient slave of Christ, he was seeking to do exactly what Christ had taught him to do. Is, is this the way with us? Is this the way it is with all of us here tonight? When we come to the Word of God and Christ is speaking to us through it, do we think, well, that's interesting. That's interesting how that fits together with wah, 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 wah. Or God help me, help me obey. God help me. Why is it that we are so lackadaisical in our approach to what the scriptures command when we believe that the scriptures teach us what the very will of God is? It's the very will of God. You have a book that is the very will of God for you. It's the very will of God for Maggie Dion. It's written in a book. It's right here. Your whole life is laid out for you here. You don't have to go searching. You don't have to climb mountains. You don't have to smell strange smells and incense. You don't have to smoke various weeds. It's laid out for you right here. The will of God. Word of God teach us what he wants from us, what he calls us to believe about salvation and about his son and what he calls us to do. The law, the commands, the outworking of these commands, like in places uh, that we're reading now, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you read your Bibles, kids? Do you read your Bibles? I mean, there's a question. Do you read your Bibles? Do you read your Bibles? not the question I have down, but here I say, do you read your Bibles with the intent of knowing what God's will is? You read your Bibles with that intent. I want to know what God would have me do. I want to know what God would have me believe. I want to know why I am the way I am. I want to know why he's the way he is. I want to know how I should spend the balance of my days. I want to know what I have to accomplish before God calls me to his presence. Do you know what God has commanded you? Do you know it? If this is not the way we are, we are twisted and seek to make God our slave and assert our own lordship over him. But here's how I will answer those questions. Here's how I will teach you, Lord, what the balance of my days is going to be. Here's, here's what I think he means by doing this and that. And here's, what, here's how I am. And we become those who, who inform God of our will. Jesus goes on to finish his sermon in Luke 6 with an analogy. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, 
I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The man who acts on what Jesus speaks. Think of the commands of the sermon preceding, right? The man who acts on what Jesus speaks is wise and prepared for any difficulty that lies ahead. That man labored to know God's word, labored to do God's will, buffeting his body, just as it is hard to dig a deep and proper foundation for a house. But the fruit of that steadfastness in the face is steadfastness in the face of temptation. Ryle writes, such a man's religion may cost him much. Like the house built on a rock, it may entail on him pains, labor, and self-denial. To lay aside pride and self-righteousness, to crucify the rebellious flesh, to put on the mind of Christ, to take up his cross daily, to count all things but loss for Christ's sake. All this may be hard work. It's hard work. But like the house built on the rock, such religion will stand. It will stand. Streams of affliction may beat violently upon it, and the floods of persecution dash dash fiercely against it, but it will not give way. The Christianity, which combines good profession and good practice, is a building that will not fall. Good profession and good practice. On the contrary, what of the man who has heard and not acted on the words of Christ? What is he like? He's like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Which man are you? Which house have you built? What kind of house are you building? Is, is Jesus your Lord, or are you attempting to posture yourself as the Lord of Jesus? Are you bending your will to God's, or do you work to bend God's will to yours? If you are the man who lives life defining what God may or may not do, defining where God will have authority in your life and where he will not, defining when God will be heard and when he will not be heard, you're the man who will be ruined when the slightest pressure comes against you. The slightest pressure will set you off the faith. How do you know which man you are? What is your daily life like, public and private? How do you know which man you are? What is your daily life like? Do you only hear what Jesus says, or do you also do what Jesus says? Scripture teaches that when Jesus returns on that great day of judgment, we will be judged according to our works. Whether we were doers of the word or merely hearers of the word who wouldn't do the word. Revelation says in Revelation 20, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing before the throne of God? Almighty God, who with a, without any effort created the cosmos. 
Can you imagine standing there? One day you will. It is every person's here, their destiny to stand before Almighty God as he's seated on the throne. Do you realize that? You will one day do this. It might be tonight. It might be tomorrow. It might be 80 years from now. But you will stand before that throne. And it says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. In other words, when that day comes, we will not be asked if we believe. We're not going to be asked if we believe. But we will be asked, what did you do? What did you do? And then I'll know if you believed. What did you do? We will be judged by our fruit just as Jesus taught in his sermon back in Luke. We will be judged according to the fruit that faith and belief always produce. Christian who is a Christian indeed will be obedient and will produce good fruit and will do what Jesus says. The one who merely professes, the one who just says, Lord, Lord, will not be obedient and will not produce good fruit. And he does not at all care what Jesus tells him to do. And he is no Christian at all. And Jesus teaches us that leaving off the pursuit of holiness for the for the Christian is an impossibility. Where the Holy Spirit works, <clears throat> where the Holy Spirit dwells, there is always renovation going on. There is always newness. There is always change. So do you want to change? Are you tired of your same old sins? Tired of those patterns of sin? Tired of returning to vomit? Do you desire to be holy? Do you long to, for freedom from the bondage of your sin? Do you want to be a godly man or woman? Now some of you say, no, I could care less. Some of you coming to children are still not caring at all about your soul. You just presume upon God's grace and you don't bear fruit, but you're like, I've been a Christian all my life, I'm just fine. Do you want to be a godly man or woman? Do you want to make progress in the faith? Do you want your parents to stop disciplining you for the same sins day in and day out? Do you want to be holy because your heavenly Father is holy? And again, perhaps some of you say no. Like Augustine used to say, he wanted to be holy, but not yet. Right? He was a man who loved to sin. And if God had not intervened in his mercy, then Augustine would have been condemned to hell for loving his sin. Perhaps others of you are numb. You just don't consider holiness and the holiness of God. God seems to you like a distant, distant, imaginative creation. You are 
blind, deaf, and spiritually dumb. If that's what God is to you, if God is way far off and not very real, then you, the Spirit, has not worked in you. The Spirit reveals God the Father to His children. The Spirit testifies to our hearts that we are children of God. Perhaps others of you are struggling and it's painful. There's hope for you, right? The renovation of the Holy Spirit will be painful as it tears down all the idols of your heart. Right? It will be painful, but it'll be glorious because you'll know God is at work in that pain. You'll have to give up everything you love. You'll have to give up friends that lead you astray. You'll have to give up um, the whole world. You'll have to give up the whole world. But what do you gain in, in giving up the whole world? Yeah. God. You gain Jesus Christ for an eternity. Trust me, brothers and sisters, you will not regret the effort you expended, the tears you shed, the friends you lost, the experiences you didn't get to have when you stand before Almighty Creator of the universe and He says to you, well done, good and faithful slave. Well done, good and faithful slave. You know, it's one thing to have somebody praise you for your piano playing skills. It's quite another to have... The one true living God smile directly at you, and, and, and you to see that smile, so to speak, and hear him say, well done. Well done. Imagine that. Imagine that, children, standing before God and God Almighty saying to you, well done. Strive to see that smile. Strive to hear those words. Produce fruit for that king who will honor you with eternal rest and peace. That's what he will give you is eternal rest and peace. It will be glorious. It will be, you will be at ease eternally. Serve him now with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us your Son, that he is the pearl of great price, that he is, is the one who redeemed us, is the one who did all, all good things, all the work that needed to be done for us to be redeemed. And Father, you have blessed us with salvation in him. Father, I pray for our children. I pray that their, their faith would be genuine. And that we would see it in the fruit that they produce for your kingdom. We would see it in them killing sins. We would see it in their sadness over grieving you, Heavenly Father. And that they would come and they would say to their parents, how, how do I overcome this sin? Father, help us then to have words from your scripture. Father, we pray that we would produce good fruit, that we would not grow weary in doing, doing good deeds. Father, help us to do this for your glory and as, as the fruit of our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.